Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Former Socceroos captain Mark Milligan is our special guest on this week's episode of The Gagapod, joining myself, David Weiner, along with Michael Bridges to share some amazing stories from his career and give us a unique take on some of the biggest issues in the Premier League right now. Can't wait for this chat. Let's get right into it. Yes, hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Gagapod. A very special episode, this one, because, well, Bridgie, welcome to you. It's special because you're here and we're both at Optus Sports Studios once again. Good to see you. Thank you, Dave. Now, I know you enjoy saying nice things to me, but I know that that is a load of rubbish because there is a special person in, and I see you every week, so you never say that many nice things. Introduce him. Fair play, fair play. Mark Milligan, welcome to Optus Sport. Great to see you, and welcome to The Gagapod. Great to have you here. Uh, how you, how you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Good to see you both, Bridgie. It's been a long time, it's so nice to catch up. Certainly has. One or two stories will definitely be coming out, Mr. Wiener. Well, it has been a long time. When was the last time you two, uh, or where did you two meet? We should. Uh, that's a nice place to start us today. That would have been with Sydney FC back when Janinho was the marquee. So I'm thinking 2009, Millsy. Uh, no, probably a little bit earlier. There you go. 2007 or eight, so I reckon. A fair while ago. It certainly was. And <laughs> and you know what? You know what's funny? It was obviously Millsy was coming through the ranks there, and I'm sat next to this, you know, a guy that had idolised Janino, and just to see the career paths of both mine and Janino go downhill rapidly, and to <laughs> see Millsy's on the, well, it was just on the incline, you know, so fantastic. We'll go down memory lane a little bit today and, and share some of those experiences, but um, first up, Mark, I mean, the last time we spoke, uh, you were in the countryside in England, we are on a patchy Zoom call that was coming in and out, and there were unknown times for everybody uh, a fair bit's changed since then you must be delighted to be back here in Sydney and things are going really well yeah absolutely well obviously a fair bit's changed for myself and my family maybe not so much in uh in England unfortunately but um yeah it's definitely been uh bigger and brighter since we last spoke what's it been like uh well first of all being back home for the first time in a long time um at a startup football club um and and talk us to the back to the the reason that you took the plunge and came out to, to join MacArthur FC because it was a, a bit of a great unknown at an unknown time. Yeah, well, I think firstly, obviously, the with COVID and everything over there was very uncertain. We weren't sure what was happening. And then once that became clearer, uh, I think how serious the situation was and the fact that we were going to have to move home, um, you know, that that was the biggest thing for us. It's obviously not easy moving three kids and, you know, your whole family and everything uh, overseas and, being home has been, been unreal. It's been so good. I think we're very fortunate here in Australia, uh, the way that it's been handled and the way that we're able to live. Um, MacArthur was obviously, came along a little bit after. Um, that main decision to come home was, was for family reasons first and then football came after that. So, um, yeah, MacArthur came along and uh, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate that Ante did give me an opportunity because so far it's been fantastic. 
Did you have any other teams interested, Millsy? Because no doubt when they realised that they, you know, your signature was available, surely you must have had a few opportunities. What, who were they, or if you don't mind talking, and what, what was the deciding factor that you went with MacArthur? Um, yeah, there was, you know, conversations here and there, but most of them didn't take place until we came home. Uh, obviously, I spoke to, to Western Sydney. Uh, the main reason for that was, was JP. Um, you know, I've worked with him a lot. I've known him a long time. Um, our main focus, to be honest, was it had to be in Sydney. Uh, if we were coming home and, and relocating, I wanted to make sure the family was settled and that the kids had a support system, which is something they've, they've not had before. Um, but look, to be honest, when Ante came to the table um, and was happy to talk about everything that I wanted, not in terms of money or, or things like that, more just security. Uh, as I said, if I came home, I don't, I don't want to be moving again in another year's time. So they were offer, able to offer me that security and um, help along the, the coaching path journey that I'm, I'm looking to go along. So, look, Ante's fantastic. I've known him a long time as well through the Socceroos, um, and he's not let me down so far in terms of, of what was promised. Now, the other day I was watching, and uh, I saw a, a young midfielder just running through the heart of the MacArthur team, played a 1-2, surged on, turn of pace, slots the ball home, runs to the crowd. I'm thinking, I went on Wikipedia, I thought, how, how old is this young fella? Like, uh, maybe I'll dust my boots off and have another crack at things. I was, he was 35, 34, 35. What, the buzz to keep playing. To talk us through that, because you talked about your coaching aspirations, but that was an v- indication that uh, you, you, you're in pretty good shape. Um, what, 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 what keeps you going at this point of your career? Oh, look, I'm, I'm fortunate. A lot of players don't get the opportunity just simply because their bodies don't allow them to. Um, this was obviously a big discussion I had with my wife when we came home because of my coaching aspirations. And it was sort of the, the, the decision we came to was it's not now that it's going to hurt if I stop playing. It'll be in 10 years when I look back knowing that my body was allowing me to play and, and I chose not to. So, look, I'm, I'm just fortunate at the moment. There's nothing, no secret to it, really. I'm just in a in a good place and and as I've said my, my body's allowing me to do what I, what I want to do. I think that's great advice you know Millsy because my body had seen a lot of injuries in the UK. I had to you, you know how cold it is over there. There was a lot of times I had to get up before training and sit on a bike to warm up because it was almost like the arthritis was kicking in and then places where I'd had injuries and I noticed when I came to Australia the, the heat definitely played a massive factor in my body um, the intensity of the games weren't coming as you know as frequently as they were, so it was a week to week rather than a you know a Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday. And that when I retired, I was absolutely gutted, and I tried so hard to get back. And I came out of retirement with the Jets. Gary Van Eyman give us another opportunity to do that. And I just love what you said there. You've got to play as long as you can. Do not hang the boots up for coaching, mate, until you physically cannot go over that white line. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But I think a lot of it's to do uh, with the mental side of things as well. I know what it's like you in the UK. You, you're getting up and getting to training and it's still dark and it's cold and you, you're not feeling great. You know, you play a lot of games and, and it is. It's The mentality here is very much different. You get up, the sun's shining, you know, you go to training, it's a beautiful day. I think that, that helps a lot with it as well. Yeah. W- were there times at Southend, particularly when during that furlough period, where you actually had to take a moment and think, is this going to be it? Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, it wasn't, I'm not going to say it was a tough time, but you know, you're not playing football, you're, you're at home and I very much, while it was very difficult, I did enjoy being at home with the kids and, um, we, it was 
decent weather over there during the the time we weren't playing. So I was playing a little bit of golf, and you do get a little bit used to it. But um, it's good know. for Gareth Bale. He yeah. did plenty of golf at Real Madrid, mate. And look what it, look what's happened to him. Yeah, well, exactly. But uh, you know, I think he's. Um, yeah, maybe a different level. Do, do you know both the, in football and golf? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the thing the thing about it, and I I think you'll agree with us here, Millsy. I had a situation at Hull City where you you want to you want to play. I'd been out with injuries. You want to play. I was signed by a manager, and Phil Parkinson. Another manager came in, and Phil Brown. That opportunity is taken away from you because you're not the you're not the manager's choice. There's nothing worse than knowing you you're at a football club and you can't do anything because that kind of you know that that manager doesn't believe in you, and you've just got to sit there. You've got to try and work hard, but sometimes there's no light at the end of the tunnel. I think Matty Ryan's just experienced that with um, Graham Potter at at Brighton. He's well, a, he's a professional. He wants to get on with it, but he was basically told, you know, you're not going to play while I'm here. Can you dwell on that? I don't think you can. You've got to, you've got to move on because when you come to the end of your career or the latter years, you want to play every single game. Yeah, hundred percent. And you see how quickly opinions in football can change. You know, we've all experienced it, Bridgie. It happened to me at Hibs as well. I absolutely loved my time at Hibs. I loved the Edinburgh. Uh, loved the players were unbelievable. And then, you know, it's taken away from you in in a, in a second. And yeah. you do. We. How many more opportunities are you going to get at sort of thirty three? Mentally, that, it's tough to handle, eh? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But it sounds like between those factors and. Uh it wasn't sort of a, a coaching decision to take it away from you, but life, you know, COVID was a weird year for everyone, might have had the opposite effect, actually spurs you on to keep going that little bit longer. Well, absolutely. As I said, I did enjoy my time at home, but after sort of a month and you do <laughs> very much get that itch. We all it. got to go back to work. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, you want to go for a run, but to be totally honest with you, Bridgie, unless I'm getting paid, I don't really enjoy <laughs> running that much. So, Well, I did 21 pre-seasons, Millsy, and now my waistline is getting bigger because I ain't running no more. Uh, you mentioned something a bit earlier about um, uh, it's good to have your family back at home all together for the first time. And I actually want to ask you both about that fact that, I mean, Bridget, you took to be here, you took your family to the other side of the world. And, and for you, Mark, you've been, your, your family's been around the world with you over the last uh, what, decade or so. I mean, to you, Bridget, first, that decision when you, you mentioned Hull to come to Australia, can you talk us through the mindset of, of packing up and going to the other side of the world, taking your family with you and having that stability or otherwise as a footballer? Well, bearing in mind, when I left Carlisle United on transfer deadline to sign for Hull, my father-in-law um, gave me a gift, and it was a it was a book, and it was 50 shitty cities, and Hull was number one. <laughs> so he said, you know, you're going somewhere, <laughs> you're leaving Carlisle, you're going to Hull, I hope you find a, a nice area. I, I love my time there. It was a fantastic place. There were some great players, Nick Barnby, Dean Windass, got some lifelong friends from that football club. However, when Phil Brown, you know, wasn't getting a game there, you don't want to dwell. Moved over to Sydney, where obviously I met Millsy. And what I realised here from being in this country, I, I, I loved the fact that I had twin boy and girl, age one and two, and I just thought what a lifestyle this would be for them. I was able to play football longer, like I say, prolong my career. And the other thing that I, after I decided to support my wife, do we want to go back to the UK or do you want to make something of it here? I'd left Sydney, I'd gone back home. We decided to sell up and I got an opportunity with Newcastle Jets. Living in a region that's got very similarities to back home. It's a coastal resort, 20 degrees warmer, obviously. Um, the blue mining collar, it's it's coal mining background. Everybody wanted to help each other out and we just found ourselves very settled. And I could see football in this country 10 years ago on the incline. And I, and I thought, I want to play a part in that, whether that's playing as a footballer, whether that's helping with junior football and going into coaching. I could just see there was a massive 
vibe around this country. The A-League was up and running. There was marquee players coming. It was it was very exciting. So I, I was ticking off all the pros and all the cons, and the pros outweighed everything. And sadly, in the last few years, it's kind of taken a tip for the worst on the football side of it, I've got to say, in this country. I think it's, in, it's at a, a point of disarray, and that's really upsetting, considering that was one of the main factors I wanted to, to be part of it over here. You've come back uh, and no one has a better vantage point of this competition than you, given you were, as Bridgie said, you were there from very, very early on. You're now back as a, a former Socceroos captain, a couple of World Cups, four World Cups under your belt. What do you make of what Bridgie just said? What have you, what have you come back to and, and your experience on the park compared to other experiences you've had here? Yeah, well, I think Bridgie touches on a couple of points that hit quite close to home. Um, when we decided to come back, that was a big reason. I wanted to, I wanted to see Australian football continue to succeed and it, you know, as Bridgie said, I think in all honesty, we missed a massive chance in 2015 to really capitalise on on football in this country. And I know people speak about how good the game is at the moment. And yes, it is very exciting for a lot of the neutrals to watch and, and things like that. But but I can't help but look back to the first couple of years and um, it was a different sort of quality for me. I think, uh, you know, football-wise, it was, it was very strong. And I think it sort of gets forgotten a little bit. Unfortunately, um, you know, we had some very, very good Australian players and mixed in with some very good foreign players like, like Bridgie's coming back. And, you know, the first couple of years of the A-League, it, I think that team at Sydney we had was was unbelievable. Um, you know, players like Steve Corriker and Mark Rudin and Popper, Mike York. Popovich. Popovich. Zrilla. Yeah, the list goes, goes on. on. And I think not only talking about it now, I think you, people need to understand that there's a reason... What I think there's four or five head coaches now that came out of that team. Uh, not only just very good football, it's very good football brains. You had, a winner men- you had a winner mentality. That's that's what I remember coming to Sydney. That that dressing room was strong minded, but it was a together dressing room, and the players. You know, you, I, I was super impressed with the professionalism of the players at, at Sydney FC. Look, Bridget, there's. I've been able to do over the last sort of 10, 15 years in terms of travel in different countries and things like that, very much based on, on that change room. And while it was very good players, it was it was ruthless as well. Um, you know, I was young and in some senses you, you learn the hard way. Um, it's, it's very much a different game now and, you know, that's not good, bad or otherwise, but I was forced to learn and, and learn quickly. And, you know, they talk about young players now at sort of 22, 23, 24. Fragile. Exactly. So, as I said, the players like myself and Ruben Zadkovic, and we were fortunate enough to play every week, but it wasn't just because we were good enough. It was because we were given a hard education, um, you know, with these older, experienced boys who ultimately wanted the best for us. But you've still got to back that up. There's a there's a, a reality that you know if you hadn't come up to the standards and the mark you wouldn't you wouldn't have been affiliated with that football club you would have been shown the door by the players for one who would have neglected you and thought I'm not putting as much effort in so you raised your game you raised your attitude and everything and like I say that's why you've got a good foundation and there's players like yourself that go overseas it's very tough when you're going back into European football because they see Australians coming to take our job you've got to be kidding and that's why when I look at the mentality of of your Millsies your Harry Kuehls yeah, Brett Emmertons, very musky, strong-minded. If you go over there with the wrong attitude and the easy lifestyle that you're coming from, you'll not survive in European football. So MacArthur's got a very experienced dressing room, but I guess your, so your observation is perhaps league-wider. Um, that education you got, that school of tough knocks and game time that you got, the, the next crop coming through right now aren't necessarily getting that. Well, not in the same way. I think... 
obviously every everything's done a little bit differently but and that, and that's why as i said it was a it was part of the decision in me coming home i i want i don't want just these young boys yes we have a lot of talent here but i want them to to succeed as well um and i think there's a, there's a way to nurture that and there's a way to help them and i think honesty is very very important and i think sometimes we give we give young players a little bit too much um praise based rather than reality a single game uh, and i think sometimes especially these days that's good if they do well no problem tell them but um you know i think you still need to earn your stripes a little bit and and i don't think it happens as much these days interesting something you said before as well um is that the competition is very entertaining and then you talked about the intensity of that sydney fc team and the standard that maybe has been um rewritten over the last 10 years or so about the standards of those early years um so you you're, you're Dave, saying I've, sorry i've got to intervene there yeah. you've got to think of the salary cap as well this this season, the salary cap has come down massively due to the money that's been invested in the game. I think that's kind of it's done two things for the game. It's diluted the quality because there's a lot of players going off to India, and there's a lot of other players. And then we've got the you know players that want to be here, like Millsy, given the league the the credibility. But there's a huge opportunity for people that are coming out of MPL or mm. the youth levels now to get in more of a game time. So again, the pros and the cons are, are in the cons. balance. Um, so while we're getting a very entertaining product, your observation of it is that it probably doesn't have that. Uh, consistently high quality of maybe a couple of your other stints in A-League? Yeah, absolutely. I think, like I said, it's, it's a different game now to, to when we were coming through at the start. Um, you know, the focus is very, very much on entertainment. I think when you look at it from from inside the dressing room, you know, the focus was always on, you know, your performance and, and then the result. Um, it wasn't so much based on, well, the fans used to follow you if you're a good team and you won games. Now it, it seems to be a little bit based on just simple entertainment factor, not so much uh, the performance or winning or losing. Yeah, interesting. Can interesting. I put a little um, a little bit of a twist on this? Of course you can. Yeah, just to lighten the mood. Our, our sign for Sydney FC with Millsy um, was there. Did, like We've mentioned all the players' names. I can't think of the team we were playing at the time, but I'd signed the day before. I met the boys at the training ground and I was struggling with jet lag. So I've gone down to the stadium and I'll never forget, one of the players pulled us aside. He said don't come in the dressing room if, you, if you've got jet lag. And I said, I, I want to see how the team talk. I want to see what's going on. He said, oh, there's a little bit of uncertainty here at the moment with some of the results we've been having. And the alarm bells were going in my head, but I still thought it was jet lag. And I'm, ah, whatever. So I sat in the meeting. Well, obviously the manager at the time was um, Branko Shalina. And after 15, 20 minutes in the meeting, the, the jet lag's definitely kicked in. I fell asleep in the team talk. And um, David Drillich nudged me and woke me up because I was snoring. I was like... <laughs> Okay, is this guy still going on? You know what I mean? <laughs> now, no disrespect to Branco. I worked with him at Newcastle Jets, but I was really struggling to, to keep it. Anyway, the next day I've come into the training ground. The, I think the lads, the result was like 4-2 or 3-1 defeat. And I came into the training ground the next day just to meet the other staff and everybody in and around the club. The lads had a recovery session down at the university. And it, was, it they were just like, everybody's faces were, were blank and everybody was like down. And I said, what's the matter? said, oh, the, the manager's been sacked. And I was thinking, I've only signed for one day. I can't be that bloody bad. <laughs> so I, t- I took all the grief off the lads saying, well, only he, he signed you and he's got the sack. And, you know, so I, again, that was how demanding it was. The results were, that's what Sydney FC demanded. They made a change. Cosmina came in and we made a, tried to get a, a finals push. Um, with Santa Lab doing very well. One of, your, one of your mates and colleagues down at Sydney FC, he got a good opportunity to Cosy. And um, yeah, scored a couple of unbelievable goals yeah. if I remember right. It was just strange times though to, to come to a club. Interesting. 
one training session, you finish off a finish, finish off a manager. Gaffer, off. Bridget. I remember ringing him and saying, "Sorry, Gaffer, I don't know what I've done to you." Did you question it all? Though did you talk about we talk about moving across the world and tenures and things like that. Were you like, "Oh, one day, what if the other coach doesn't coming in is like, don't need him?" And that's how I thought the reality was, you know. But I hadn't seen what had gone on prior, and I don't know obviously what what, what had gone on. But it was obviously results driven. They wanted to get in the finals. They were they. I think Sydney FC have proved that they desire a winning mentality across the board, um, and especially to this day now with um, Townsend in charge at uh, the top level. But I just I was disillusioned. I was thinking, oh my god, how many managers are we going to go through this season? <laughs> I remember ringing the boys back at home saying, "This is mad over here. One day and he's gone." So, but it, it wasn't like that, you know. The best Bridgie story. Oh, it's got know, mate, was uh, he well behaved? Very well behaved. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just did. I, so I just did as I was told back then. Mate. Yeah, you did. You didn't. We never the saw boys you out. I had ran the, ran the changing room. I had me put own my head down, work hard. I tried to get a seat at Hugo's, and I couldn't. Couldn't get in. Couldn't use my name in there because it was Dwight York's place. After I left, there was no way I was getting in there. So I, I, I made my little home at Cargo Bar. Ah, that was the home ground, was it? it? Well, there was a special night, was um, all-you-can-eat mussels, and then that went into a massive night, so it was great. That would have just been a walk home then as it well. It was just it? a stagger, stagger home over the bridge. Used to love Cargo Bar. Very good, very good. <laughs> now, we, we before we move on to uh, matters of, of Premier League interest, uh, Millsy, we should talk about a massive game you've actually got coming up. It's a, an unlikely, most would say, top-of-the-table clash in the A-League with the Mariners against MacArthur. Um, looking forward to that one, and I guess... What an opportunity for both clubs this year. The world, football world is in chaos everywhere in, 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 uh, in the world and that breeds opportunity and both t- clubs are, are making the most of that this year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, it's well documented. The Mariners have been you know, a little bit disappointing overall over the last few years, so it's nice to see them back on top. You know, When we were first starting out in the A-League, they were always a, a very strong force and um, yeah, they've been doing extremely well. Uh, they were excellent again last night against Perth and you know, they've got some, some good players. Matty Simon's on fire, scoring goals. They're a very organised unit. Um, you know, they they did us at our home ground last time, so we'll be definitely looking to make amends for that. Yeah, interesting stuff, Brigitte. I guess yeah, it, everywhere in the football world this year, um, you can take nothing for granted. It, it has thrown the cat amongst the pigeons a little bit. Yeah, and like you said, I think I'll always go back to seeing Liverpool lose so many games at home. That would never have happened in a full house at Anfield because I, I never got a result there. I used to hate going to the place. It was intimidating. If you went one up, you knew you were you were playing against the whole of that stadium. So that that's had a massive impact to a lot of teams. I think that's why we've seen so many away wins. Um, it's a set a new record globally for teams that have won away from home. I tell you one thing that did you want to say something? No, I was just I was just going to say actually how much of a factor that I believe yeah. that is the fans not being in stadiums and you have a team like Liverpool who who play with such high energy. Yeah. You know, not even at, at home but away as well and and just what a difference those fans make all you've got to do Millsy is have a look at Sheffield United's results before COVID yeah have a look what happened after COVID Bramall Lane on a cold night and the intimidating factor of them being right on top of you listen while I had a great style you know the the centre-halves bombing around the outside of the the wing-backs teams had longer to suss them out during COVID but the fans at that ground um, without without them they've Mm. Yeah, what the one day of like four or five uh, games tops they've been almost the biggest loser in football period since Frightening. since COVID and even closer to home even the goal that I joked about it a little bit earlier which was an unbelievable goal if that was either the first game for you guys there in front of fans or the first win in front of fans I can't recall exactly but I could tell it actually meant a fair bit that was a, that was a real celebration wheeling off to the supporters 
Yeah, absolutely. It makes it, it's a hard one just to talk about, and I think Bridgie will tell you the same because unless you've sort of played in front of a lot of fans and and you actually feel that difference, it's like a preseason game to a normal season game. It's it's you don't really can't really get your point across. I don't think so. But yeah, we'd we'd obviously been limited on our fans early on, and that Adelaide game, um, you know, I think was our biggest crowd so far, and and it does, especially for an old man like me, mate. That that extra little bit of boost, it might even if it gets you through that that last ten minutes, it, it definitely makes a massive difference. I'll give you one of my anecdotes. All right, anecdotes, anecdotes, anecdotes. whatever, whatever it is, dude. <laughs> one of the bridgeism right there. Robbie Williams, yeah, is an entertainer. He goes out and he performs in front of people. You want to go there, you want to entertain. So when he's got the crowd going, you know, that's what gets you that motivation. That's what gets you. We, to a degree, as footballers, we're entertainers. Of course. Yeah. I used to love stepping over that white line. We all dream of being a professional footballer, for one. Playing in front of big houses, too, is, is the bonus. And when you've experienced that and you've felt it, I, I used to not be a very good training ground player. I, when I stepped over that white line and I was on that park, I went into my own. I loved hearing them seats you know, people stand up when you got the ball and you could hear the seats because they're looking at entertaining players. And I, like Millsy says, I think that's the kind of novelty that we have missed. We are entertainers. So when you're going out and Robbie Williams goes out to an empty stadium mm-hmm. and he's doing a rehearsal, he ain't going to have that enthusiasm and that hunger and that desire to get and the energy levels he needs from the crowd. You feed off the crowd. And like you see, when he scored the goal and he's run off, you can just say he's feeding off the crowd there. It was brilliant. Yeah, I actually... I mean, I don't blame players for celebrating, but I do find it a bit odd when they're sliding with the same uh, intensity to the corner flag, presenting themselves, but they're doing it to a camera because there's no one there to actually celebrate to. And it is is a real shame. And my gosh, I hope uh, for Europe's sake and the rest of the world that we get those fans back soon. I'll tell you who it hasn't impacted as we move into some of the other topics we're going to talk about. Manchester City. Another 4-1 win this morning against Wolves, where for a moment, guys, it was 1-0. 20 minutes to go, I think. I thought, well, hang on, we, we, this could finally be the end of the streak. And it was not, Bridgie. It was not. Now, Sergio Aguero is back. Kevin De Bruyne is back. Guardiola can do what he wants. He made another half a dozen changes to get today, and it doesn't change anything. I think that's a luxury that we Manchester City have. They've got the luxury of a, a team that can make six or seven changes and you look at the bench and you still think, my word, that bench could compete in the Premier League as, as a team number two. Now, I look at the likes of Liverpool. Yes, they've had injuries, Dave, but I still think if they were to make six or seven changes to their starting team, it's going to impact Liverpool. Chelsea have got a luxury. They've bought lots of players. They've got some good juniors coming through. I don't. I just feel when you're comparing Man City-Liverpool this season, there's no comparison. Klopp can go in at the end of this season and say, there you go, the reality is we need more players in our squad of a quality of Manchester City because at this moment in time they are untouchable and I still scratch my head this is what one thing when you're leaving as a footballer and we're going into coaching you're going into management I mean that management situation at the moment how you handle the players that are not playing and I'm talking about a squad of 17 18 that I'm handling now he's talking about a squad of 40 world-class players Frank Lampard struggled with that at Chelsea his tactics and the players that he signed when he had the youngsters, when he had to make big decisions with big egos this season, he offside a few of the players. That spreads quickly. You've got to just credit the way Pep Guardiola seems to handle this situation and everybody seems to be a happy camp. It's incredible. I heard a big discussion again this morning about you know Man City being so far ahead and you know is it good or bad for the Premier League and, and whatnot. And I thought it was a bit funny actually because last year I remember hearing the same conversations about Liverpool. And then you look at now at what Pep's gone and done. They were worried last year that Liverpool running away with it by so far was going to affect the quality. Pep's gone again, you know, tweaked a few little things and, and they're better. 
So by them running away with it this year, I think that just brings everyone else a bit more motivation to look at where football's heading and get back into it. It shows the perfectionist that Pep is as well. He's, you know, you'd go away, you analyse where you can get better, how do you improve, that's what you want to do anyway as a coach or as a person in general. And the, the study that I did was on the All Blacks for the, for the Pro Diploma. It was fascinating. At the end of every tournament, the All Blacks share their stats and everything that they have done throughout the tournament with all the other countries around the world. And I was like, why would you share that information? And they basically say, so we go away for the next World Cup and we everybody's trying to get where we were <laughs> and we go one step. And I think that is Pep Guardiola's mindset. Well, that's very much a Formula One Mercedes type situation, isn't it? Share this, yep. Yeah. Share the joy and get better. And you're that confident in what you do. You know you can go to the next level. I saw today they haven't trailed in 19 games. I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous. But talking about adapting, I mean, we discussed on this show probably four months ago the Aguero factor and getting a striker in how important was was it. I'm not saying this to say, you know, whatever, whatever you know, at the time we had doubts over whether that would happen and whether that would be a success. I more want to frame it as, how extraordinary is it the way he has adapted? And is there a best way forward with Aguero or without him? Oh, Dave, please. I think every team needs an Aguero when he's fit. He, you could tell there was still cobwebs. He was getting his finding his feet. Jesus now has obviously got the two goals this morning. He's backed up. But I, I just can't understand how the playing with a false nine has worked so well. With, you know, when they get the, the wingers that are playing wide left and wide right, sometimes they stand way out wide and the fullbacks tuck in. The understanding of the way the players go. I mean, against Wolves in the first 20 minutes, Sterling was almost playing alongside Jesus. As a, almost had three strikers narrow um, and the fullbacks were bombing on. It's the, the numbers that they get in the box. There was six or seven on every cross. Now, you leave yourself vulnerable at the back, but they, they back themselves and it, it's just super impressive. Can they do it without number nine? He's proven that he can, so I'm going to say yes. I, I think they'll get the treble. I can't see them getting the quadruple because I think Bayern Munich may just do them. Because yeah. I've got Bayern as the favourites in the Champions. Okay. Uh, I think they might do at least a treble, but I think the Champions League is one they might get. What, what do you think? I, I think it's one they need. Um, I know it's definitely something that he'd be looking for, but just on them, I think there's no team in the world at the moment that there's so many possession-based teams, which I think Man City are as well, but the forward runs and the areas that they, they make them from, I think, separates them from the rest of the world at the moment. It's, it's unbelievable. Like you said, it doesn't matter whether Sterling's narrow or it doesn't matter if Sterling's not playing and Foden's there. Their understanding and forward runs to create space. And I think that's why Aguero will have a part to play in this team for a long time because they've, they've adapted over the last few years. And it, I won't say it's to suit him, but the focal point doesn't always have to be him. Mm. Because of their runs and their movement, it's, it's extraordinary to watch. 20 metres, the last part of the field, Tuchel's mentioned it three or four times now. Dave, you're, you know, the team you support, your manager, how they're getting the possession base, they're getting in that final third and it's the last 20 metres they're struggling with. Mills just said, Man City don't have that problem. They runs the dynamic um, into out runs that they have, the little f- chips in behind angle balls. They, they're just all on the same wavelength and that's why as a coach, when you analyse Manchester City, you've got to think every player knows the roles and responsibilities of where one player is, where they've got to be, and they play different systems. It's just credit to the whole. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Stuff. So as it when you were playing uh, central central defense central defense um and you come up against a tradi- traditional striker as opposed to one of these teams like city who are so sophisticated with lots of intricate movement maybe a false nine how much did that change your preparation for a game or or you know the way you played out a game when you got a team that is so fluid that presents you a completely non-traditional challenge yeah it's a as a Centre back, right back, it's it's a nightmare for these these dynamic sort of teams. I think the best example I can give was we played Germany uh, in the Confeds Cup. Um, very, very good side. Um, a lot of movement, um, you know, very strong all across the park. And I think in that game, they, they went changed to three or four times their formation just to be able to get in behind us and move us around. And then you play sort of a team like France, who have a, have a focal point. And for me as a centre-back, you sort of know what you're going to get. So you can hedge your bets a little bit sometimes and I won't say cheat, but you sort of have an understanding of where their movement's going to be. When you come to a team like, like the Germany side at the Confeds Cup or a Man City, when you don't know who's going to be running past you or you don't know who's going to be rotating inside or you don't know who's going to be filling space... You can't plan for that. You can't. It's you impossible. Can't. You, you go through, as a, as a coach and as a player, you go through something, if the team change and they do this, this is how we're going to try and do it. You can't do a session on a Thursday and a Friday and go, now listen, they might do this as well, boys. And by the way, they might do this. This is what we could do. And by the way, they might do this because the players will just, what the hell? The gaffers want us to do five or six different things. It, you, you can't, you've got to work on that for like an all, almost a whole season. And City do that. So defensively, Mills is saying, when you come against a structured team, yeah, it's, it's a lot easier to get your shape and be aware of what they do. You know, you know what you're going to get when you play Burnley. You know what Burnley are going to yeah. do. Man, for God's sake. Like, it's just, it's like watching my son play FIFA against me. Oh, it's, it's it like, destroys me. Yeah, it's like a perfect computer game. It's and and who knows uh, when they will when they will be stopped. Will they beat the record? Ajax. Which which? which it's the Ajax record. I think it's twenty six. Is it unbeaten 26. in all or wins in all comps? I think uh, so. They're chasing yeah. by, and then I, Ajax have got the double one the, with the, the Cruyff 90s, team through the nineties. Oh, I think it was before that. I think it's the Cruyff team. I that was a nineties one in second. I think it's the Cruyff first. It might be the other way around. I I I think they're going to beat themselves. I I can't say who's going to beat them at this point. Can you? No. No, can't. can't. That's, actually, that's really interesting what you're saying about the defensive situation because, I mean, everyone's talking about Liverpool at the moment and that there's been a lot discussed. But um, just a unique perspective from you, Mark, given that you spent a lot of your career both in central midfield and, and across the back line. And that was a um, obviously a, an asset of yours, but I know at times you spoke about wanting to bed down into a certain position. With everything you just said, watching on the likes of Jordan Henderson and Fabinho, from your perspective... How extraordinary is the challenge that they've been given by Jurgen Klopp and, and, and how big, a, um, I guess, how, how have you assessed how they've taken to the role or a perspective on just how damn hard that job actually is? Yeah, look, it's, it's very difficult. And, you know, these are quality players you're talking about who can absolutely do that job. But my argument all along with, with the change of position is you get, you're able to do the job, but you don't get that next, that next level, that... I guess something a little bit special or 
you're always sort of just getting what you can do and never sort of above that. And I think that's what happens when you change positions a lot. You get when you play one role, you get used to it, you get comfortable, your positioning becomes more natural. So Henderson, for example, can play centre back, but if he was to play centre back every week, then it'd just it'd just be a lot more natural. He'd be able to open up other aspects of his game, maybe focus on passing more. You know, while it's it's never bad, when you when you're in one position for a little while, it's always better. I don't know if stress is the right word. Does it make you more stressed on the field? Um, look, it, as I say, it doesn't. You don't feel as secure. Yeah, exactly. You feel there's always there's always a little question mark on. You know, I'll look back at like I played in midfield last week, and then I know it's a totally different, you know, dynamic and level and everything like that. But I played in midfield last week, and then went back to centre back on the weekend at last minute, and then I look back on the game, and I'm like. I was five, ten metres out there, should have dropped. And they're things that don't happen when you're doing something regularly. Now, as an opposition player and seeing Millsy play in that central midfield role, I know I've got a tough game on my hands. If I'm seeing a team shooting, he's playing centre-half, no disrespect, I'm thinking, do you know what, I might get something out of him today. He's going, So I might just try and play on him in, in his less favoured position. I think we saw that when um, Liverpool had an out with uh, the lost Van Dijk. Every person that was playing in that centre-half role, you notice that a lot of the players now play, teams play one up top. They were playing on the player that was just coming to the team and Henderson was getting exposed by Vardy against Leicester early on. So, you know, you're aware of what is going on at the other clubs because you, you, you're thinking, well, hang on, he plays every week in that position. Quality player. He's in this one. He could be vulnerable. Mm. Relieving win, though, for Liverpool going into this clash against Chelsea on Friday morning, Australian Eastern Daylight Time, uh, the very the very good time, the breakfast time of 7am. Um, Bridgie, they're two points away from West Ham. Chelsea are a point behind West Ham. Uh, this is a monumentally important clash for both sides, both for their momentum, but also that there's no time to waste in terms of picking up these points. This is a six-pointer in this top four race. This is who, Liverpool and... Chelsea. Yeah, yeah, big one. Your, your boys. Um, oh, Liverpool picking up points against Sheffield United. They needed that. I think Wilder really fancies opportunity there. He'd already up Man- uh, upset Manchester United. Um, and Chelsea, on a, on a run of Tuchel, I still don't think we've seen the best of Chelsea, Dave. Nah, You're unbeaten. You're unbeaten, and that is huge kudos to him because you're getting the results and he's still scratching his head. So there's more to come from that team and that players. It's going to be a quality game. I honestly can't call this one. I Are we going to get some goals? Are we going to get some goals in a big six game? I reckon I've set my alarm at 3.30 about half a dozen times this season and seen no goals. Well, I'm going to sell it to the punt as I'm going to say there will be goals. Get watching off the sport. <laughs> Very good. Very good. But what, do you, what do you think about this clash? Yeah, massive. I think... Um the win the other night for Liverpool is it's massive coming into this game. They I guess I think they need to shake that that little hoodoo of the last what mm. three or four games. Um, you know, as Bridgie said, Chelsea have been solid, but not been extraordinary. Uh, and there, there is more to come, and I think I think them not scoring this morning will um, will hurt them because they're you know they want to be they're a possession based side as well, but they they want goals. They've got players in that squad, not just the the eighteen or the eleven that that should be bringing goals. And it'll be uh, uh, as Bridgie said as well. I think that I think there will be goals. I think the way that Liverpool play and the way that Chelsea keep the ball, it's it's going to have to open up at some point. Oh, I hope so. I hope we see some goals. I hope we see some combinations in the final third. Well, I went for my super prediction. You know, I, I always go for the score draw, not the ball draw. Nil nil. We saw Chelsea, Manchester United. That is a ball draw, Dave. This is going to be a score draw. One one, draw. two two, three three. So I think it's three three. Be, I hope so. Bring it Please. on. 
That'll be good. Um, just talking about uh, Tuchel, you mentioned earlier, and and you're right. There are clear changes he's made to Lampard structurally and and defensively, but that final rhythm hasn't clicked there. I just love to know from you guys because there's a lot of stuff going around the traps now about how you know Tuchel's put an arm around the players that are not getting picked. How he's had to console guys like Ben Chilwell, who all of a sudden went from you know Lampard's first choice to second choice to Marcus Alonso. What is it like when a new manager comes in to the dressing room, and particularly if he makes, and more often than not, I guess they do, make significant changes um, to what you've been used to day in, day out previously? Yeah, well, it can be very tough. And quite often when a new manager came in, comes in, and you saw with Thomas as well, that they they want to shake things up a little bit. They want to stamp their authority. Um, so, yeah, it can be. If you're on the receiving end of being put out or sitting on the bench or, or missing out, it can it can be tough. Um, you know, on the flip side of that, you, you might not have been in, in great favour with the manager that's just left. So, look, it's always a few nervy days when a, when a manager first comes in. But I think, you know, with a manager of his quality, um, you know, he knows which, which boys he needs to put an arm around. He knows which boys need to sort of sit out a week and, and wait for their chance. I think you, you're not at clubs like uh, PSG and Dortmund if you, if you don't have that man management skill. And I, I think it's vital for the players, like Millsy said, some find themselves coming from the outer to the inner and some that have been there as the previous manager, you find yourself on the outer, whether that's because you were previous signing of the previous manager, which I've experienced at my time, or I've had managers that have come in and gone, we're going to get the best out of you. We, we saw what you were doing against such and such. They come in. However, it's also as nerve wracking for the, the, the manager coming in. You have got that first address, I call it. It's like when you take the stage uh, and that yeah, just takes yeah. the stage. That first address in front of the players, you've got to sell yourself. You've got to, you don't have to sell, sell your brand of football. You're coming and you've, you've got to make sure that that first address to the players, you look them in the eye, you sell what you're going to do, you try to get them on board. And that, that first week is vital. And I think he's done absolutely incredible because he brought them out from the wilderness. Alonso came back in and we saw Hudson Adoy get another opportunity. And he's had to put his arm around Chilwell, like you said. That's man management. That's mm. how you keep a squad of players. And he's obviously said to them, you will get your time. Be ready for it when you do. So I've got a little confession. When, um, when, when As soon as I arrived at Optusport, Rich was so glad to have me. He sent me to Antalya. He said, off you go. Um, uh, we don't, don't stick around here. We don't want you. And um, I, was, I was eavesdropping a little bit at an early training session before the World Cup and Bert Van Marwijk got you guys together. And I was the only one there. You could hear the golf balls and you could hear Bert Van Marwijk. And uh, I heard him address the group, and this was after coming through um, years of, you know, Ange, front foot football and all that, and I heard him reference Atletico Madrid and resilience. And I thought, and I was just fascinated by it, because I thought, what a change in dynamic. Now, not, one is not right and one is not wrong, but it's just different. What's that kind of change like when you have to actually go, we've got a complete, we're going to change as a team, actually, from this situation? Well, for me, at that stage, I was playing playing centre-back, it was music to my ears because I was very, very used to three-on-twos at the back and playing a very, very attacking brand of football under Ange. So, um, yeah, look, it's you, you, you prepare yourself for that. You know that every coach is different. Obviously, I had an understanding of, of Van Marwijk and the way that he played football and I'd seen his teams play. So, you sort of, you know, when you find out who's coming in, you're generally in football, you have a good idea of what they've done, what they like to do, the way that they like to play. Um, you know, obviously it's more difficult for, for certain players, obviously attacking sort of players with a defensive coach coming in, you know, a striker in that sense, Bridgie would know, will know that 
he's not just going to be able to stand up front and you know have his cup of tea and wait for his tap-ins. He's going to have to do some work defensively as well. So there was a few top corners as well, mate. <laughs> but uh, I never, I never worked. So yeah, as I say, it's it's different for for different players, but you always have an understanding of 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 what to expect. Yeah, and it was a. Did it make it because that that you guys worked hard on on the training pitch in in Antalya, and does the tactical focus, um, I guess, does that does that bring the best out of plays in terms of like it's almost like cramming for an exam. You've got three weeks for a tournament, two weeks for a tournament. You're gonna have to learn a brand new style of play, or does that does that make it more difficult to prepare for such a such an occasion? And compare that almost to what. Tuchel's had to do at Chelsea, all the new managers that come into clubs have to do. Yeah, I think all the all the successful managers, they're successful because they're very clear in what they want. And I think that's the main thing. Whether they're attacking-minded, defensive-minded, they're just very clear in what they want and they have a very, very strong belief in, in the way that they do that. And that rubs off on players. And I think big coaches like Pep and Van Marwijk and Van Bommel, and they they have a good understanding of the way that they see football and the way that they want it played. And I think that's the biggest thing with the players. If the, if you see that the coach believes in what he's telling you, then you sort of go along for the ride. You buy in, don't you? You Absolutely. buy into the product. It's like somebody selling me a car, Dave. You know, if, if they're a crap car salesman, you walk out of there and you go, nah, not having it. If they sell you the goods, you're going to take it. That That's how you buy your players in. You, and results help that. Don't get us wrong, but it's about getting on the same page and seeing the... Uh, I find it hard at the moment, looking at Tottenham Hotspur, I'm not in the inner sanctum there. You go from a Pochettino who the players loved, they'd been to a Champions League final, and then you've got a Mourinho coming in to say, you know what it is, you know what Mourinho's style is. So how he sells that product to the players from being an attacking-minded team to get the buy-in from the players, to go from a defensive, but he's saying, I will deliver trophies Mm. at some point. The question bells are there now, because it's the worst start of his career under manager in his 50 games. So the players, we're like packs of wolves. We smell the blood. We might, you know, we might have a go, but it's it's a very very fine line between selling the product and buying. And so is Mourinho playing that game now, picking Bale with Mura, with Son and Kane all in the team? Is that him reading the room exactly like you just I said? I think it's a. He's he's tried everything else, and he's thinking, you know, is this could be the last throw of the dice, the last chance saloon? And the players like Gareth Bale have stepped up to the mark. They've they've got a hunger to show, and uh, yeah, and it. I just I just find it fascinating how they've gone. It's almost the bipolar opposite of styles of football that Pochettino and the players have gone from. And you know, I, I've spoken a few of the people at the club as well, some of the ex-players and some of the players that are there now. Mourinho nurtures them in a different way. Like I think you've seen it on the documentary as well. Mm. He does very. He, his man management skills are fantastic, but the byproduct into the to the playing style. It's still something that I think a lot of the players are adapting to. Well, that is a big one as well. Reading the room, isn't it? He's he's obviously not only because of, well, as you say, he's his worst start as a manager. But sometimes, you know, he's read the room. He, he feels like he needs to give the players a carrot a little bit and put another attacking player in there. And he knows how to he knows how to get the best out of him. So I dare say that um, you know he'll turn it around for himself. Will, will he will he look back and say he got it right with Bale or got, or he got it wrong with Bale in the sense that uh, well why wasn't he playing him earlier? Dave, he gets paid multi million dollars to make big decisions. I'm standing here talking to you. My opinion means absolutely shit, F.A. Uh, I just hope you validate my parking, mate. <laughs> Good luck with that one. Don't think I've got that much power here, Millsy. Seriously. You got a, you got a, uh, was it a piccolo you got? Or a macchiato? I got absolutely nothing, mate. So you can tell the big gun was in today. 
Tight ass, Dave Wiener. Got, got us off Zoom today. I mean, that's that's a whole new kettle of fish. It is. There's the petrol driving down from Newcastle as well. I'll need the fuel. Oh, bloody Thank hell. Thank you. Jeez, this is taking a turn. Hang on. Um, speaking of positive things, though, there is a lot going on here at Optus Sport at the moment. We've got the J-League back on the, on our screens this week, and uh, it wasn't the result Ange Postacoglu was hoping for in his opening game for Yokohama F. Marinos uh, in the opening match of the season, but a lot of entertainment to come, and I just wanted to get from you, Mark. I mean, you spent some time in Japan. Um, it was it was brief. I think you came back to go to victory from there. Um, but can you give us an insight just into your you know what what you know what what the life is like in Japan as a, as, as a football player? Um, yeah, period to enjoy. Uh, yeah, look, it's a fantastic place to live. Um, very very strong league. Um, very very passionate over there about football. Uh, you know, it's baseball and, and football over there. And that's, uh, you know, they live and breathe it. And Respectful um, nation? Respectful nation as well? Very, very, yes. Very respectful, very welcoming. Uh, but in saying that, in the football world as well, if you're a foreigner and you're not doing well, um, it's it's ruthless. <laughs> They're ruthless. If you come in and they know that, uh, you know, the foreigners are generally paid well and they have high expectations. So if you're not living up to those expectations, the, the players, especially the players there, they, they don't accept that. You know, they've got some very, very good local talent coming through and I think they manage their leagues very well. So you have to go there and you have to perform and, and that's no different as a coach. So can I just put that in perspective? You've played there, you've seen the inner sanctum, you've just talked about Ange Postacoglu, what he achieved over there. I I'm, I don't see what that league is like. I've never seen that before, but I know there was rave reviews about um, Arsene Wenger when he won it. I'm a huge believer, and I, I, I've you've played with Ange. Nice level, I've just seen him. At every club that he's gone to, he seems to have success. How big of an achievement was that, and what is, what is the key to his success, man? Uh, it's a massive achievement. I think, um, you know, the first year that he was there was, was tough. Uh, they were playing a very good brand of football, but... Um, like I say, it can be difficult, and and the fact that the the ownership there and and the powers that be gave him that chance obviously saw what what was coming, and I think the fact that he was able to have the players buy into into what he was getting them to do because often Ange asks things that that aren't easy. Uh, you know, I think you see his team, especially over there, playing a very very high line, playing out of their eighteen yard box. If you don't get these things right, one two weeks, you you can lose the players very easily. If players can very much feel like they're sort of being set up a little bit, asked to do things that they're not capable of doing, but he has that ability to to make you believe in exactly what he's saying, and that is the best way that you can possibly play football. And to be able to do that in a place where it's his second language, or not even second language, where he doesn't speak the language, is is amazing. Did you play in the um, Asian final and win with Australia? Yes. I've, I was luckily enough to see the footage of the final, the team talk. Pete Klimovsky, let us have a look at it. Um, obviously an English guy with an Australian passport. I've been here. I was so emotional watching the video of all the family you members. But me you're going, <laughs> all the family members. So the team talk goes, Dave, that before that final, there was nothing to do with tactics. And he got all the, the family members to send good luck messages, well wishes. This is what you've dreamed of doing all your career. I started get, I started welling up. Here's it was a 10 minute and I, I was nearly crying. It's not even my family. It's not even my nation. It, just to, for anybody that is coaching and listening out there, 
coaching goes far beyond when you get a senior level about just tactics and all this. It's about having an emotional connection with your players because now I know why you went through to that final and won so so amazingly because of the emotional shoestrings, oh sorry, heartstrings that he pulled on. Well, absolutely, but it's it's about timing as well. If he plays that early on in the tournament and there's no sort of background to it, yeah. then it doesn't have the same effect. Um, you know, uh, Matty Mackay and myself used to talk about it a lot, actually. He's very, very good, uh, you know, the team talks and leading into games. And obviously with the national team, our team talk would generally be at lunchtime and then you'll play late at night. And you've got to... <laughs> You got to have you got to listen to his team talk. You're basically ready to run through walls, and then you have got to go and try and rest in the afternoon and get ready for a game. So, his timing on that those kind of things are you know second to none. Just knowing when we need something and exactly what we need at that point is, I think, why he's so special. Yeah. And with that in mind, um, how what about the fact that this has been achieved? Where you as you said, it's not his language. And can you give us that perspective as well, having been in, in a couple of different dressing rooms in Asia where it's not your language either. How does that work out? Yeah, well, it's, it's very difficult, um, you know, especially in Japan when I, when I went there. I didn't, I didn't have a translator in China, so that was very difficult. I went to Japan and I had a translator who was fantastic. He um, is at, I think he's still at Shimizu now, but we're still in touch and fantastic man. But we used to have meetings. We had a Japanese coach, so we'd sit in long meetings and um, you'd, you'd be listening and he'd be translating and, after a certain point of time, he'd just be like, ah, this isn't for you, this bit, just <laughs> just rest or, you know, I'll tell you when he comes up with something. So This is the boring shit. Well, that's right. But but you think about it on the flip side, he's doing everything through a translator as well. So you have to have, he has to have the translator buying into what he's saying and then he has to have the translator sell it to the players. Yeah. It's going through a lot more channels than yeah. what I was getting and I was missing information. <laughs> so the fact that he's able to get that message across, not on just how he just wants them to play, but to be able to, well, not even motivate them, but to get, him to get the buy-in. Yeah. It's like the is, Bielsa factor. Bielsa yeah. has that yeah. as well. He's, and he's got his, his right-hand man. I'm trying yeah. to think about it. He's in the same position in every, in every post-match interview. And that I, guy must... You said run through brick walls. He must run through brick walls for Bielsa. Yeah, he does everything. And I think that was the hardest thing for Ange in his first season. How you get that message to your translator for him to deliver it in the same enthusiasm, the same message. Because I can mm. say something and then Dave can say something and it'll sound crap from but well, probably, well, probably both of us. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's, it's how you deliver deliver something. And I think that's what Ange, Ange was struggling with in the first season. And then when he sorted that out and they came up with key words and the dynamics, man, yeah. just uh, that's a special talent. And like Millsy says, it's hard enough when you're just there playing. Um, but I tell you what, you must have enjoyed the food. Oh, yeah. I'm a Japanese nut for the food. Oh, my eldest daughter eats nothing still to this day, but rice and sushi. Oh, Expensive habit. Yeah, the barbecues <laughs> as well. Oh. Yeah, fantastic. So fascinating stuff, guys. Fascinating stuff. Now, Bridget, your your question about the Asian Cup was a great way to, to lead into our very last segment. We're going to go down memory lane a little bit. We've got you in here, Mark. Just a little bit of a, a reflection. And I wonder whether uh, what Bridgie mentioned, if we look at some of your career highlights, um, if so, if people, if punter walks up to you in the street and says, Millsy, what's your favourite game? What's your favourite moment? Does that Asian Cup final rank right up there? Um. Yeah, definitely. Of course, to to win a trophy, a major trophy on home soil, um, you know, in front of 90 odd thousand people is, you know, it's very hard to go past. And I think the way that we won it uh, was very special as well. Obviously, we conceded a very, very late goal. And then to go into extra time with the confidence and still play the football that we did, um, you know, that was was extraordinary to be a part of. Um, You know, I've been... I've been fortunate to be involved in in a lot of good games, especially with the national team and 
So probably that one and, and I think qualifying for the Olympics in, in North Korea as well is a very memorable one for me um, for two very different, obviously similar reasons in mm. terms of the success that came because of the game, but two different, two very, very different games and two very different feelings after. 2007, that would have been? Like a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. it was, yeah, 2007, start of 2008. With no one there but the army, if I remember never, right? Never yeah. disagree with a stat, man. <laughs> He yeah. knows our careers better than we do, mate. No, I actually remember that game because it was the mo- one of the most bizarre games to watch coming through on TV because you just had the army cheering and you guys are going out and playing for your Olympic your Olympic futures. So that would have been a bizarre and unbelievable experience as a young, you know, under 23. Yeah, absolutely. It was, um, yeah, it was very interesting. Very interesting place to go. Very interesting game. Uh, and I think for us to put on a performance... Uh, quite a young age as well to have to get a result in North Korea on you know circumstances that we'd never face an artificial pitch uh, we're playing in the snow no fans and um, yeah you got the Olympics on the line so that was that was a big one uh, but yeah it's hard to go past the Asian Cup yeah. favorite or most interesting opponent or teammate um, yeah I've been fortunate to play a lot uh, against a lot of uh, you know very good players Um Favorite probably playing with Dwight York was unbelievable because we were very young and that was sort of my first introduction to any sort of international footballer uh, that that obviously wasn't Australian. Um, I think one of the best for me is you know sort of away from I've been fortunate enough to play against Messi and these types of players a few times, but Diamante, uh, we played him a few times in the Asian Champions League when he was at uh, Evergrande. And then, um, you know, to, to come back home and be able to play against him here. Obviously, his game now is very different to what it was then. But just an unbelievable player and still to this day to do what he's doing, you know, at his age as well. Two, is two assists the other day. He, his ball distribution is, oh man, what a, what a key player he is. Well, we played him in the, when I said, as I said, when we played him in the Champions League, you know, he was in and around the box. He was beating players. He was sharp off the mark. To then see this side of his game, that I don't think, you know, a great deal of the general public would have under, understood to, to change your game the way that he has and have that in his locker is is unbelievable. Just to put a little bit on that, the certain players can adapt their games. I look at the likes of Alan Shearer that lost his pace. He was dynamic pace in behind lots of goals for Blackburn as these got older. Hold up play, heading still knew where to be. Teddy Sheringham, another player that went late in his career. Paul Scholes. Players that had to change, and like you say, Diamante, and then you look at other players, and you know, I'm not digging people out, but Michael Owen was the England's best goal scorer. Mm. Michael came in at 16 goal scorer. He had pace and he could finish. As soon as Michael lost his pace, he couldn't change his game and adapt to play like the 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 longevity that other players have been able to do. And that's why I credit the players that are able to change their game and, and play for as long as they can, because time time catches up you very quickly. And uh, like he says, Diamante, I just I hadn't seen him beforehand. I just thought he'd always been a ball player that was able to just deliver balls like that. But when Millsy says he's got energy and levels as well, that would have been scary. Just to end off with, I mean, you've we've spoken about a, a lot in the last hour, but just to end off with, a, is there a memory or a, a moment or just something that when you look back on your career that if it, it's one of those really awful sweeping questions, but what do you pin when someone pins you down and goes, what, what, what is it that you remember most fondly or that you, you love looking back on? Is there something that stands out for you? Um, I think the, the 2015 grand final with Melbourne victory, um, that wasn't, we did very, very well that season, but it wasn't an easy season. Uh, with the Asian Cup disruption, mm. we had 
a few qualifiers before that coming off a coming off a World Cup as well, uh, which was disappointing for myself with injuries. So that that year was was probably tougher than than people sort of think. And even the week leading into the grand final, I was I was bed bound. I was very very sick, uh, missed training most of the week. Um, and then to, to be able to play at Amy Park uh, in front of a full house, I had all my family there against, you know, a very good Sydney side at the time. And I think to do do it the way we did that match as well, that's, I'm probably saying it as well because it was on the other day and it was the first time I'd watched it back. And okay. it just, but it, it really, I was, it really hit home, you know, what that meant to me. And I think, you know, the whole background of it, I think the way that victory helped me out when I left Japan and, you know, I wasn't in a great place and, and what Ange did for me there and the rest of the club, the chairman and things like that. I think that's why it's, um, that, that's probably from a club level, the most, most memorable and, and one of my fondest moments. I think in the last five minutes, you've taken us to North Korea, back to Melbourne victory, won an Asian cup, a lot to talk about. I've got a quick question from Millsy, so you can put my mind at rest, please. Yes. Sydney FC, I remember always getting pancakes with Nutella inside of them, and I don't know whether it was you, Ruben Zadkovich, or Santa Lab, and one of your mothers used to make pancakes with Nutella for the journey from wherever the youths lived, and every morning I'd get a pancake with Nutella off well, one of the young I, boys. I think that 100% would have been Ruben. Was that Ruben, was it? I think that's ah. that sounds very... Ruben, just it was just like a little. I caught them as came out into the um, car park, and they were sat in the car before. Training. I went, "What are you doing every morning?" Like, "Oh, just finishing off my breakfast." I was like, what you got? It was pancakes. It was three or four years sat in the car. So that'd still be on the menu. Never have in-house chefs and things like that. Wouldn't wouldn't. That's why I was sitting in the car park. <laughs> so I used to always pretend I was going for a piss and then go to the car park and get a, a get a Wollongong crew. I think they had a little camp event. It was the Wollongong to, crew. They used to come yeah. come with, and they always had the goods in that. And day. you pulled right. You were the senior star, so you made sure you got your order. I said, in. "Listen, boys, your secret's safe with me as long as." I get one of them wrapped in foil tomorrow morning. Outstanding. Gents, I've had a ball walking down memory lane, talking about a current football. Been great to have you here, Mark. Thanks so much for joining us. And I believe we'll see you in a couple of weeks in countdown to kick off as well. So that's great to hear. Can't wait. Thank you very much. Awesome stuff. And Bridgie, I'll see you oh, probably sometime later this afternoon. Uh, no doubt about it, Dave. <laughs> Millsy, great to see you again. Thank you, mate. Good luck for the future for this season. Um, it's great to see you back in the country. I wish you all the best. And um, you're a great mentor to everybody that you're playing under. And it's good to have a national treasure back, mate. Good on you. Thank you so much, mate. Well said. And with all that, I'll make sure your parking is validated too. Everyone, thanks for listening to this episode of The Gagan Pod. It's been great to chat to Mark and Bridgie. And as ever, until the next episode, enjoy your football. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.